We are going to talk, I'm going to share with you from 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is our uh, last sermon before we jump into our Advent series. Advent, if you don't know what Advent is, Advent is the five weeks that lead up to Christmas Eve. It's kind of a, an old church tradition. Advent's kind of an old school word. Uh, you don't find the word Advent in the Bible. Uh, it, is, it is kind of a church tradition. And, you know, some church traditions are, are fun, are helpful, and some are not. Uh, but uh, as we look at church traditions, um, Advent is one that I think is kind of helpful for us to focus our minds on Christmas and the real, the real reason for Christmas, Emmanuel, Christ with us, that God sent his only son for you and me. So um, starting next week, we're going to be celebrating Advent on Sundays and then at Christmas Eve. And our sermon series is called Believe. And uh, we have these cards, it looks like this, available today. These are invite cards that you can take to your neighbors, families, and friends to invite um, to our Christmas Eve service on uh, December 24th. But not just that service, maybe invite them for the Advent series that they would come. We're going to be talking about belief. What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? And it's going to be a really great study. Um, I'm excited about it. We know that there's a type of saving belief, but there's also a belief that doesn't save. You know, uh, the, the Bible says that even the demons believe and they tremble, but they will not be saved. So we're going to get into what belief means, um, how that changes us, how it changed some people in the scriptures, what their belief actually changed for them. So we're going to be looking at Mary's life and Joseph's life and uh, the life of a prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah and what their belief actually changed in their lives and what God did in and through that. So we're really excited about that sermon series um, and we're excited to share the gospel through that as well. All right. Well, Let's pray before we jump into the, God's Word today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time. We thank you for what you're doing here. We, we recognize your powerful hand in the lives of, of the people here that you're bringing here. We celebrate that today, Father. As we open your Word today, God, I pray that you would give me the words to share, that we'd make my mind clear Make my words clear for your kingdom and your glory, that your truth would come through and that it would change us. It would change our lives, Lord. We offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 27, it says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I think that's hilarious that I'm just going to point this out. That, that he says, respect those in charge, those who admonish you and, and care for you. Speak into your life. That admonish means to kind of beckon or call people to righteousness or to relationship with Christ, to that life-changing sanctification or change that, that God does through the Holy Spirit. And, and I, can, I can share with you that one of the most difficult things uh, of being a pastor and caring for people is working through, through um, 
the challenges of being in relationship with other human beings that sin against one another and struggle with one another. It's, it's funny to me as I read this that he says, esteem those in, in your care or that care for you and in leadership. And then he says, be at peace amongst, among yourselves, right? So one of the hardest things in leadership is caring for people through, through hardships and struggling communication and different things and being a peacemaker. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. And then he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You might want to underline that that last phrase there, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Anytime I see in scripture, you know, something so blatant, something that says, hey, this, this is God's will for you, right? He just says it, Paul just lays it out there. This is God's will for you. I always try and make note of those kinds of things, important stuff. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God's word for us today. Now, as you came in, uh, you should have received a program, and there's some notes. I'm going to give you the first fill-in in those notes. It's this. Knowing that Christ's return is imminent, do these things. All right, we need to get a little context here. We're jumping into 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. We've got to kind of see where Paul's been going with the church in Thessalonica, okay? So there was this huge concern in Thessalonica about the, the Christians that had passed away and where they would go. You know, they were, they were concerned about eternity. They were concerned about this second coming of Christ. And, and so we see a, a major theme throughout the entire book of 1 Thessalonians is this bringing clarity to eternity, to what happens after we die. And so right before here in the later, part, later parts of chapter 4, Paul makes, brings some clarity and talks about Christ's second coming and, and brings that to them. So so after he shares about eternity, the importance of eternity, which we've been talking about the last four weeks or so, that we need to set our mind on eternal things, that we need to invest our money in eternal rewards that God has set for us. He's, he's talking about this second coming. And then he says, gives us this list of things. Focus on these things. Work towards these things. Work towards this kind of righteousness in your lives. So he's talking after the second coming, encouraging, thinking about the second coming. Have you ever spent time thinking about that at all? That Jesus Christ is coming again. 
The very Jesus that walked planet earth, the very God-man who put on flesh, left heaven for you and me and did amazing things, healings and raising the dead and and all of the things that we see listed uh, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is coming back for you and me. In the flesh, in person, you will see Jesus Christ face to face. In Matthew 24, 29 through 31, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. That's what Paul's talking about. Jesus is coming again for you and me. It's so easy for us to, to lose sight of that, isn't it? I, I don't walk around every day. I don't, you know, wake up and, and go for a jog and then go into work and, and think, you know what, Jesus is coming back. It's just not something that's always in the forefront of my mind. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think about my day, I think about my schedule, and I look at my week and how many meetings I have, and I schedule my, my time to study and, and do different things. You know, I, we have all these, these work responsibilities, and we have all these family responsibilities, and we tend to forget that Jesus, the Son of God, the man that that made a way for you and me to be in right relationship with God is coming again. Jesus is coming again. It's not some fairy tale. It's not some distant truth. It is a reality for me and you right now today. Jesus could come back right at this moment. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know he is coming. And that is something we can be extremely excited about. Because when he comes to take us to glory, it is going to be an amazing and beautiful time. All of the things and the the struggles that we had, the suffering that we see here on this earth, the difficulties and the mystery that we have in the word of God and the person of Jesus, these mysteries that, that are so foreign in the concepts of, of things like the Trinity, that, that, that it, that's three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How can these three be one? How can these mysteries of creation, how did God create all that we see and, and all that we experience? How did, how did God do all that? How did he put it together and and we have, we have just such limited understanding through science and other things. And, and we, just see, we just see so much in part. It's like looking through glasses that are covered in, in some type of fog. And we're trying to make things make sense. And it, it just doesn't always make sense. There's these mysteries that we don't fully understand that, that in that moment, in that moment when Christ comes back for you and me, he's going to make clear. All of the questions, all of the tears, all of the suffering, none of it will be for waste. He's coming back for you and me. 
And that's what he's been telling this church in Thessalonica. He's saying, don't forget, man, there is a Savior, and he's coming back again for you and me. So let's not forget that. Let's keep our minds where they should be, that Jesus is coming again. He says, knowing this, Paul says, be diligent in your faith, pursue righteousness, and seek after what is right. And then he goes on to say, he kind of sums up all those, those, that list of things with this one statement, and it's the second fill-in in your notes. Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. He gives us that long list of things to watch out for, things that can get us tripped up. Let's look at it again. He says, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Paul does that quite a bit. In in a lot of the epistles, he will write a list of things to watch out for that can get us tripped up, that can sidetrack us. And then he'll finish this long list of things. And it's like he's thinking, you know what? I can't list it all here. <laughs> you know, so just abstain from all, ty- all kinds of evil. He's just, he just kind of puts an umbrella statement out there. Watch out. Run away from. Avoid all these kinds and every form of evil. We could look at all of these things that, that Paul says in this benediction to the church in Thessalonica. And, and we could say, we could, we could make a sermon series at every one of these points. But I want to point out one of the commands Paul gives. One that comes with very strong language. A key phrase that we see a few times throughout the entire book of 1 Thessalonians. I had you underlined it earlier. This is the will of God for you. This is the will of God for you. Have you ever faced anything and wanted to know what God wanted you to do. You're just going through life. You see something coming. It's a huge decision. Maybe it's, maybe it's a new job offer. Maybe it's moving your family away from home. Maybe it's school. You know, what college to go to. Maybe it's deciding whether this person you're seeing, courting, is the one. Difficult decisions. I mean, we all have them and we're all faced with them from time to time. Have you ever just, you're going through something like that and you're thinking to yourself, God, what would you have me do? God, what is your will for my life? Have you ever asked that question? What is your will for my life, God? Give me some direction. You ever ever do that prayer? Like, Lord, just give me a direction. You close your eyes and you kind of go through your Bible God's will for your life and God's judgment came on them all. Oh, wait, that's not, that's not a great idea, right? God does speak to us through his word. No, we, we want to know God's will for our life, right? We all want to be in his will. 
So, so anytime I see a text like this or I see a statement like this where, where God's making it abundantly clear what his will is for us, I want to dive into it and see what it really means. Being thankful in every situation requires trust. These statements are so, so powerful. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Three powerful statements. How is it, how is it that we can rejoice always? I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like rejoicing. There's been times in my life where I look at my circumstances, I look at whatever it may be, and I'm just like, really, God? What's going on? How am I supposed to face this, right? How am I supposed to go through this? I know your word says rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. You know, it doesn't say give thanks in some circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks when things are going well. It doesn't say give thanks when you get what you want, right? Give thanks in all. How am I supposed to give thanks in all circumstances? Pray without ceasing. That's a good one, right? That, that we're to live a life of prayer. Not that you're going to be walking around with your eyes closed and head bowed all day, every day, walking into things, but that we live a life in communion with God, that there's this constant internal communication that, that God, what are you doing today? God, what would you have me do for you today? How can I live my life that would glorify you? What are the interactions that I'm having at work or interactions I'm having with people? God, it's this constant communion, this constant conversation that we have going on with the Lord. His Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and is, is guiding us through these things. This being thankful in every situation, this rejoicing always requires trust. That's a key. That is a key to what's going on. They kind of talk to you about our coming sermon series. It really goes into what we believe, what we believe about God. Does God truly love me? Does God truly want what's best for me? Even though I just found out I have cancer. Right? In those kinds of situations, in that hardship? Or when a loved one dies? Does God really, really care about my tomorrow? What is it? that we're going through, that is challenging that trust, that belief, that, that real truth that God is all-powerful, that God is loving, that God is sovereign and providential and active in our lives and is with us. What is it that is, 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 just makes it difficult to believe that he truly, truly loves you? So much so that he would send his only son to die on the cross for you and me. 
You know, life's not all rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes it's tornadoes and pterodactyls. And it's in those moments, it's in those hardships where God comes close to us through the power of his spirit. And he says, you are not alone. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I love this next phrase, even though I hate it too. Lean not on your own understanding. There's things, God acknowledges that there's things in our lives that we're going to face that just don't make sense, that hurt us, that cut us to the very core of who we are. And they, man, they, they, they slap us in the face when we don't expect it, and they put us to the ground. And it's in that moment where the rubber meets the road, that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, comes alongside us on the ground and brings us to our knees in prayer. It's one of the most beautiful things about relationship with Christ, is that we're in relationship with a God who's not He is acquainted with suffering. We are in relationship with a real God who went through real hardships, lost ones that he loved, was betrayed and made great sacrifices, went through great suffering. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, a man who was betrayed and murdered by one he trusted. So it's in those times of great suffering where life difficulties bring us to the ground, where it brings us to our knees. What do we believe about God? Do we trust God that he, he can do what he says he will do? Trust that he loves us and cares for us. Do we trust that he won't let us down no matter what? That brings us to the last point in your notes in this. It's this. We find it in our text at the very end of the benediction. The fill-in is this. God will do it. God will do it. Pick it up in verse 23 with me. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now get this. This is truth and this is grace. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the promise. God will do it. He gives us, Paul gives us this list of things that we should avoid and, 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 and things that we should run after. And if we look at these things and we're just like, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, and I'm going to watch out for this and not do this and go this way and I'm going to do this. And God's saying, listen, listen, God will do it. Yes, run after righteousness and, and avoid every form of evil, but know this. 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's the power of the living God in relationship with you and me that, that motivates us and propels us and brings us towards sanctification and righteousness. It's the very activity of the living God in you and me. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship with the creator God. That is the motivation of righteousness. That is the motivation towards holiness. It's the very living God, the Holy Spirit, active in you and me. Every time, every time you see something in your life where you see God changing you, you see, you know what, I really struggled with this last year, but I've noticed that I'm not falling into that temptation this year. You know what that is? That's God, the Holy Spirit. That's God, the Holy Spirit in you. Don't go patting yourself on the back. Run to Jesus and say, praise God. Thank you for the work you're doing through your power, your spirit in me, God. Thank you for setting me free from sin. This is the activity of God in you and me. As we read these things and these callings and these purposes that God has set aside for us, God will do it. It's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it doesn't rest. Now hear me on this. Hear me on this. It doesn't rest on your performance. You hear me? There is nothing, nothing you can do in your life that will make God love you more than he loves you right now. Nothing. It's all, this, this is the gospel. It's in every book of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that God did what you and I can't do. And it's the gospel for salvation, the gospel for sanctification, and the gospel and glorification. That God comes in and changes our lives and brings new life and breathes new life into dead, dry bones. Salvation. It's that God comes into our lives through the power of his Holy Spirit and changes us. The journey that he takes us on in relationship with him. And he changes us and he grows us to be more like the people that he's called us to be. And he's changing us for his glory and for our good. This entire life is preparation for eternity. Sanctification, the gospel, the power of God through his Holy Spirit and sanctification. And then remembering, right, what Paul says. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back for you and me. We will be glorified. No more temptation. No more doubt. No more questions. No more mysteries. The very living God in the flesh for you and me. We will be glorified in Christ one day. Yes, yes, this is something to celebrate, right? This is what we celebrate, the good news of Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, he's the center of the story. We just get to participate and play a small part by his grace and mercy that he's given us. This is good news, right? Praise God. Praise God that, that we're not the same people we were last year, right? Or three years ago. God changes us and he grows us because he loves you. He loves you. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, the good news for you and me. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so glad that we get to celebrate it today together. 
Maybe you're here today and you've, you've had questions. You, you've wondered what it is about Jesus, who he, who he is, what he did. You know, maybe you've just been living life and you're here kind of just checking things out. At Mission View Church, we want you to know that God loves you. God loves you so much, you've heard me say it already, that, that he sent his only son, Jesus. Jesus, being God, left heaven and put on flesh. And the whole reason behind that was, was so that he could do something that none of the rest of humanity could do. That he would live a perfect life, fulfilling, fulfilling what needed to be fulfilled. Jesus lived a perfect life in thought and in deed. And then he died the death that you and I deserve so that we don't have to. He died on the cross that day. A horrific, horrific death. A sinner's death. But the good news is that he rose from the dead three days later. And in that, he conquered death. And he conquered sin for you and me. He did that for you. If you're not living life in relationship with Jesus, give your life to him. Surrender your will to his. Repent of your sin. That just means turn, change, do a 180. If you're going north, turn and go south. Repent of your sin. Confess your sin to him. Ask for his forgiveness. And he freely gives it. It's a free gift by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know it's free, but it came at a great, great cost. The greatest cost ever paid that Jesus would leave heaven for you and me and allow his own creation to kill him. It may be free, but it was most costly. But it is free for you today. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're on mission, church. Mission View, hear me on this. That's why we're on mission. Because God saved us, and we know that he wants to save so many more. That God changed us, and we know God can change our family and friends that don't know him that he can save them and change them. We want to make disciples. It's the great commission that Jesus gave us. He gave us those last marching orders. And we want to reach 200,000 people with, with this good news simply by loving God and loving others. What a great thing to celebrate today. We get to, we get to recognize the work of God in the lives of people here, I can tell you, as my wife and I have been visiting different community groups, we're hearing amazing stories, amazing stories of God stepping into people's lives and, and just changing their lives. It's amazing. God is at work. God is at work here. And the new members coming into membership and, and coming alongside and joining this mission and vision and purpose that God has set before us. Praise God. It is all him. 
It is all God doing this, and we want to celebrate that today. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to ask the band to come back out here at the end of the sermon, and I want us to respond to God's great blessing and work that he's doing, that we would respond to his word, and we would respond to his, his work that he's doing, and we want to respond in praise and giving him all the glory and honor as we sing our praises to him. So would you stand? I'm going to pray us into our worship time, if the band's back there. Jesse, are you back there? All right, good. <laughs> they like to dangle out there on me every once in a while, just make me sweat. <laughs> I get a little excited sometimes. My voice lasted for the sermon day. Praise the Lord for that. That's the grace of the Holy Spirit with the, the gunk. I've got the gunk you know, that's been going around. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we set aside this time today as a celebration of your work, of your power, and your grace that is active in our lives. So Father, in this time, we surrender our hearts and our will to you, and we say that this is all about you. It's not about a band. It's not about uh, any lights or any of this other stuff. But God, right now we recognize your work, your power, your gospel, and your glory. And we join with heaven right now. And we say, you, you are the one. You're the only one that deserves all glory and power and honor. We surrender it to you, Father. We give it to you. Take our lives for your kingdom. God, we pray that you would ring us out for your kingdom. Use us up for your kingdom. We are so humbled and honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship Jesus.